Romans chapter 3. Now, in the first two chapters of the book of Romans, we have seen the Lord, um, first of all, presented a very clear picture of the fact that the Gentile believers, uh, or not the Gentile believers, but the Gentiles are um, in need of a Redeemer. They are lost in their sin. They're in a downward, downward spiral. Excuse me. My wife's cooking. <laughs> chapter 2 no, was, chapter 2 was uh, Paul's proof that even the Jews the religious ones the ones who are highly favored of God God's people were in need of a redeemer because they are guilty of the same things that the Gentiles are guilty of. That's how Paul begins the second chapter. He says, what are you doing judging them? For you do the same things. It hasn't been pleasant these last two weeks as we've looked through these chapters because what is described for us there, the sinful condition of men, both Gentiles and Jews, is not a pretty sight, especially when it looks so much like us. It's not fun to read about yourself in those kinds of terms. And yet we do recognize ourselves as sinners there. In chapter 3, he finishes this, um, this depiction of the depravity, the sinfulness of man, and begins to, to tie the two together, both Jew and Gentile, and show uh, that we indeed, the whole world, needs a Savior. What advantage then has the Jew or what is the profit of circumcision? He's just finished talking about how the, the Jew is, uh, is sinful and in need of a Savior just like the Gentile. And so he, he's anticipating the argument that, well, well then why, why did God uh, give the Jews a favored status? Why did he give them circumcision that set them apart? If, they're, if we're all the same, why did he do that? So Paul answers that question, anticipating that as their response, by saying this. The prophet of circumcision is, is much in every way, chiefly because to them are committed the oracles of God. Now the Jewish people, the nation of Israel, are, are um, the recipients of a tremendous amount, amount of prophetic scripture aimed directly at them. You go through the Old Testament, you, you hear over and over again the Lord committing himself to the people of Israel, the Jewish people. It begins in Genesis chapter 12 with, with God committing himself to Abraham to, from his seed and from his offspring, bring a, a nation that would bless all nations. And it goes on from there. Now in verse 3 it says, For what if some did not believe? Will their unbelief make the, faithful, the faithfulness of God without effect? Just because the, the Jewish people, Abraham's seed, did not fulfill their end of the bargain, does that mean that God is going to forsake them? Does their faithlessness cause him to be faithless? No. It says, certainly not. Indeed, let God be true, but every man a liar, as it is written, that you may be justified in your words and may overcome when you are judged. 
Now Paul is saying here that yes, there is an important distinction between Jew and Gentile in the mind of God. And yes, there is a profit to circumcision. Yes, there is a blessing in being of the household of Abraham. But being of the household of Abraham doesn't make you uh, righteous before God. And that's what the fallacy was. That's what they uh, had thought. That's what they were under the delusion of, is that just because they were of the seed of Abraham, just because they were the recipients of the law, just because they had circumcision, that they were righteous before God. And Paul has shot that full of holes. But he does clearly say, yet there is, there is a distinction in the mind of God between Jew and Gentile, and there is a blessing for those of the house of Abraham, because God has given to them the oracles. God has committed to them prophetic utterance that he is yet to fulfill. God is not done with the nation of Israel. The nation of Israel, the Jewish people, have not all of a sudden been swallowed up by the church and are no more. But God has some dis very distinct prophetic things that he is about to fulfill for his people, the Jewish people. He is not done with them. He will bring to full um, evidence all that he has promised to full cycle all that he has prophesied concerning his people he is not through with them so yes there is a blessing in being of the seed of Abraham but it is not that you get to stand before God as righteous on that basis alone that's what he's establishing here verse 5 but if our unrighteousness demonstrates the righteousness of God what shall we say is God unjust who inflicts wrath I speak as a man certainly not for then how will God judge the world for if the truth of God has increased through my lie to his glory why am I also still judged as a sinner and why not say let us do evil that good may come as we are slanderously reported and as some affirm that we say their condemnation is just. Now in this passage right here, these four verses, Paul is answering a question that he anticipates and he is also setting the record straight on some things that have been slanderously reported of them being this. That if God is seen as more righteous because of my unrighteousness, if against the backdrop of my blackness of sin, the, the pureness of his holiness is more evident, then why should he judge me? I'm doing him a favor. You see the logic in that? It's a little twisted, but it's there. People are always trying to, you know, I get these kind of questions all the time. They're always trying to find some way around what's right, you know. And so he says, now if God looks better because I'm so creepy, then why is he blaming me? And why is, should I be judged? And Paul takes that logic or that argument to its furthest extreme and says, okay, then why don't we just say, let's go out and do it so that God will, will be seen as more holy and more just. Let's go out and just commit all the evil that we want to so that God can be seen as more holy, more just, more, more righteous. And, and it's left obvious that that's foolishness. He doesn't even need to answer the question because it's obvious that that's foolish. What then? Are we better than they? Again, speaking as the Jew himself. Are we better than they? 
Not at all. For we have previously charged both Jews and Gentiles that they are all under sin. As it is written, there is none righteous, no, not one. And he quotes from the Old Testament. That's got to sting a bit. He quotes from their own law. There is none righteous, no, not one. There is none who understands. There is none who seeks after God. Remember in the first chapter when he was describing the condition of the Gentiles, he said that because they didn't want to have God in their thoughts, God gave them over to a reprobate mind. Their, their understanding was darkened. There is none who understands. There is none who seeks after God. He, said, he indicted the Gentiles by saying, they, they knew God, but they didn't worship Him as God. There is none who understands. There is none who seeks after God. They have all gone out of their way. All gone out of their way. It's like God has, has said, walk this way. And we've said, no thanks, I'll go this. They've all gone out of the way that God has designed for men to walk. The human race has decided to take a detour from God's plan. They have become altogether unprofitable. The word unprofitable uh, literally translated means overripe or spoiled. You know, when I was working for Castle and Cook Foods, which is uh, the parent company for Dole products, I worked for the fresh uh, pineapple division. And I remember very distinctly one time we got a, one of these great big sea um, uh, vans. You know, they, they had these great big uh, boxes, like metal boxes that uh, they put on ships and transport goods, you know, back and forth from Hawaii to the States. And this is a refrigerated container. And when they get to shore, they can put them on, on a chassis and a truck can pull it like a trailer. And they, they backed up one of these trailers, these refrigerated containers with pineapple up to our dock. And I had the good pleasure of opening the door. And after a week, of, uh, a week or more of sea voyage uh, and not having the refrigeration work on that container out in the hot sun on the seven seas, you know, <laughs> I uh, opened the door and I about, I about passed out. I opened the door and all this rotten fruit was in there, you know, and all this junk growing all over everything and the smell was enough to kill you. You know, there's nothing worse than rotten, overripe fruit. It's worthless. It's unprofitable. There was absolutely nothing of value left in that container. We had to take it all to the dump. And what God is saying here in... in in little better words than, than I'm about to, is take them to the dump. None understands. They've all gone out of the way. Take them to the dump. They're unprofitable. There is none who does good. No, not one. And now he begins to, uh, in, in a very unique way, prove what he's saying. When you go to the doctor, you know, the first thing that he does usually is he takes out his little stick, his tongue depressor, and says, open wide, checks your throat. Then he takes a good long look at your tongue. 
I never could figure out that out as a kid, you know. But there are reasons for that. There are things that are indicated by the condition of your throat and your tongue that clue the doctor to some things that are wrong. And so Paul, in a way, says, he makes this case that there is none righteous, no, not one. Let me prove it to you. Say, ah. Their throat is an open tomb. Have you ever had the experience of smelling decaying flesh? Mm, that's worse than rotten pineapples. Talk about bad breath. That's it. Their throat is an open tomb. Their tongues, or with their tongues, they have practiced deceit. The poison of asps is under their lips, whose mouth is full of cursing and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. Destruction and misery are in their ways, and the way of peace they have not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. Now we know that whatever the law says, it says to those who are under the law that every mouth may be stopped and all the world may become guilty before God. Therefore, by the deeds of the law, no flesh will be justified in his sight, for by the law is the knowledge of sin. The law was not given to save men. The Ten Commandments and the other laws that God gave were not given to save men. They were to show man his sinful condition. Show man his sinful condition. His need for God's mercy and grace. For by the deeds of the law no one will be justified. Even if you were like Paul who could say that he kept the law of God and was blameless concerning the law of God. Even in, if you were able outwardly to keep the law, you still have to face the indictment of Christ who said, even if you think it, you've done it. So the law is unable to save us. What it does, and we'll read about it later in Romans, is it's like a schoolmaster teaching us our need of God. We look at the law and we see what God requires for righteousness and we see we don't measure up. We see that we need His mercy because we have not been able to live up to His standard. And so Paul says, Therefore by the deeds of the law no flesh will be justified in His sight. For by the law is the knowledge of sin. And there he concludes his... Uh, graphic illustration or description of the sinful condition of men, both Jew and Gentile. And now he begins to speak about the righteousness that is available not by the law, but by grace. But now the righteousness of God apart from the law is revealed, being witnessed by the law and the prophets. In other words, what I'm about to tell you is not something new. This is something that God has spoken in the Law and the Prophets. Even the righteousness of God which is through faith in Jesus Christ to all and on all who believe. For there's no difference. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. You know, it's interesting. 
to hear this kind of thing from Paul because you know that he's not standing in judgment. For in 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 15, he says that he is the chief of sinners. So he's not just pointing his finger at everybody, you know. He understands very well that he is counted in that number too. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, being justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Jesus Christ, whom God set forth to be a propitiation or a mercy seat by his blood through faith to demonstrate his righteousness because in his forbearance God had passed over the sins that were previously committed to demonstrate at the present time his righteousness that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. Now when it talks here about his righteousness, God's righteousness, it's not talking about the attribute of God that he is righteous. God is righteous, God is holy. But what it's talking about here is God, the, the righteousness that God has to give to men who don't deserve it because of Jesus. It says here that we are being freely justified. Now, we, we don't deserve it. We don't deserve it. We have no claim on it. We have not earned it. We are being justified. The word justified means just as if I'd never sinned. God is saying it's just as if you'd never sinned. Here it is. Righteousness. We don't deserve it. We don't earn it. He's giving this to us by his grace. Unmerited favor talks about the fact that that redemption, this righteousness, is in Christ Jesus, who was set forth to be the propitiation or the, the mercy seat, the, in the ark, or on top of the Ark of the Covenant, which was the only piece of furniture in the holy, most holy place, the Holy of Holies. There was a place called the mercy seat under the wings of the cherubim. And that place represented God's forgiveness, his, his mercy, his grace. And this scripture says that Jesus is the mercy seat. He is the propitiation. You know, just picture Jesus as a, as a seat, a, a chair that you can come and sit in that is the mercy of God. You know, you deserve his wrath. And yet God is holding out a mercy seat. It says that um, God, in his forbearance, has passed over the sins that were previously committed, meaning before Christ, the sins of mankind. God uh, passed over them in his forbearance. Certainly there were little bits and pieces of God's judgment doled out, but nothing like men deserved. Men deserve to be wiped off the planet for their sin. And yet God looked over that. He was patient. He had forbearance with them. Paul, when he was addressing uh, the men on Mars Hill, he said God winked at sin in those times. God was 
merciful even then, looking forward to the day that Christ would come. But it says that now that God has demonstrated his righteousness, that he might be just and the justifier of those who, uh, by faith in Jesus, receive salvation. Now that means that God was uh, patient with an in forbearance, kind of overlooked sin to a degree. But when Jesus came, he put the sin of the whole world upon him and judged him for the sin of all mankind. And the wrath of God that had been stored up for all those thousands of years was poured out on Jesus Christ. And God really was his um, justice, his position of being a just judge was in jeopardy. You know, if I go around telling my kids, don't do that again or I'm going to give you a swat. Don't do that again or I'm going to paddle you. Don't do that again or you're not going to be able to watch TV for a week. And I never follow through on my threats. I, I lose credibility. And God has said that sin requires death. The wages of sin is death. And yet God has not been dealing out the kind of judgment that men deserved. So really God's credibility was in jeopardy. Is he who he says he is or isn't he? Is he just, uh, is he just blowing smoke or what? And so when Jesus came, it says here that God demonstrated his righteousness that he might be just. Yeah, God meant what he said. But he didn't take it out on me. He took it out on his own son. And that allows him to be a justifier of men. If, using that same analogy, I'm always telling my kids, don't you step out of line again, buddy, or you're going to get my hand to your backside. And I never follow through on it. And then I, I say, don't do that again, son, or I'm going to give you a swat. Well, we'll let it go this time. I am not a justifier. I'm in no position to justify. I'm just a man who makes threats, and this time I didn't carry out my threat like I never did before. So in order for God to be a justifier, first you had to be shown to be just. And he was shown to be just on Calvary's cross where he took out his wrath on his own son and doled out the judgment that men deserved. So that's what that verse is speaking of. Where is boasting then? It is excluded. By what law? Of works? No. But by the law of faith, Ephesians 2, 8 and 9 says that we're saved by, by grace, through faith. And even that is not of ourselves. It's a gift of God so that nobody can boast. Therefore, we conclude that a man is justified by faith apart from the deeds of the law. Or is he the God of the Jews only? Is he not also the God of the Gentiles? Yes, of the Gentiles also. Now, he says this because... Um, if the Jew thinks that his justification is in the law, then if you take that line of thought out to its furthest extreme, you have to say that there's two gods, one for the Jew, one for the Gentile. Because the Gentiles don't have the law. So if the Jews can please God by keeping the law, then what about the Gentiles? And so Paul says, is God the God only of the Jews? Of course not. And so if that's true, then you know that what I'm saying is right, that you cannot be justified 
on the basis of the law. Since there is one God who will justify the circumcised by faith and the uncircumcised through faith, do we then make void the law through faith? Certainly not. On the contrary, we establish the law. And Paul can say that strongly, that he is establishing the law and not doing away with it because of what the law was intended to do, show man's sinfulness and point him to a savior. And so in proclaiming that there is no salvation, there is no redemption, there is no justification outside of faith in Christ Jesus, he is not undoing the law, but establishing it, that it was good, that it was right, that it did what it was supposed to do.